Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Great slate of college football games this week. Of course, all the Florida teams that we follow regularly are in action. And we have a chance to talk to Matt Baker, who covers college football for the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. I'm specifically looking forward to the Oregon-Washington game. That's going to be, have some serious national championship implications, I believe. And Michael Penix, who, of course, is from Tampa, and now suddenly uh, one of the Heisman candidates. And we'll talk to Matt about that as well. I was at One Buck Place and watching the Bucks begin preparations for their Sunday game. And it's going to be a good one against the Detroit Lions throwback day. Of course, they're going to have uh, the creamsicle uniforms and Bucko Bruce and all of that uh, will be part of uh, what they do and the festivities that they have included there. But a very, very tough team coming in here at Detroit. They're 4-1. They have won a lot of games since last November. Uh, I think they're the third best team in the NFC. They're also, not coincidentally, the third best rushing team in the NFL. So they're going to run the football uh, and the Bucks are going to have to be prepared. We had a chance um, to uh, talk to a number of the players on Wednesday. For starters, you remember uh, Todd Bowles would not name captains at the beginning of the year. It was someone unusual. Usually players vote for that before the season opener. Uh, he deliberately held off on that until after the first four games, and the players have voted now. And I think the reason he did it, um, is simply because they had some new players, and not the least of which was the quarterback, right? How did you know exactly how this Baker Mayfield thing was going to work out? I mean, he was the, the better player in preseason, and he won the battle over Kyle Trask, but but uh, what if you just named him a captain and things didn't go very well in the first four weeks? So uh, they held off on that, and uh, your captains for your Tampa Bay Buccaneers do include Baker Mayfield. It's the third time he's been a captain. He was also the captain of the Carolina Panthers and uh, also in Cleveland. Uh, receivers Chris Godwin and Mike Evans on offense. Um, on defense, Vita Vea. Oh, also on offense, you have Tristan Wirfs. Uh, defense, Vita Vea, Antoine Winfield Jr. And then linebackers, Devin White and Levante David. The 10th time for Levante David to be named captain. First time captains also include Chris Godwin, has not been a captain until this year, which is kind of neat, and uh, Antoine Winfield Jr., who's had probably the best year on defense, I think, of uh, anybody uh, over there. So uh, pretty good selection, I think, of captains and in, in a fairly, you know, a fair one at that. Had a chance to talk to Baker Mayfield. Of course, last week he was all over the media. He was everywhere uh, at the Red River Rivalry doing all the shows throughout the week, and um, this will be uh, another tough game against a really tough defense in the Detroit Lions. We've talked about Aiden Hutchinson and, and, and that. Um, so they're going to have to be really uh, on their game. And, you know, the thing about Baker is he continues to impress with his ability to extend plays. We saw him do that against New Orleans, especially with that final touchdown uh, pass that he had late in the game to Devin Tompkins. But I have talked to a couple uh, coaches over there at uh, One Buck Place, and this kind of started 
a little bit after the Minnesota game where they 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 don't want to dissuade Baker from leaving the pocket because he's very good at, at 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 making plays, you know, outside of it, and a lot of the offense kind of puts him on the edge at times. Um, but they do want him to be a little more careful and you know and not necessarily run to contact and lower his shoulder. Now, you know, if it's a first down to end the game and and the competitive juices take over, uh, diving in the end zone for a touchdown or something like that, that that's kind of a different situation. That's not really what we're talking about, although. You can get hurt doing that, but it's more about you know lowering your shoulder into guys or stiff arming guys and doing things that could put yourself in harm's way. So they've talked to him uh, about that, and and I think that he's mindful of it. But by the same token, it fires up his team, it fires up his offensive linemen who have protected him pretty well. And I think the combination between Baker being able to to run out of trouble, throw the ball away, be smart with the football, uh, and the offensive line, which has definitely improved, I think over last year. Baker Mayfield's only been sacked four times in four games. That's one a game, and that is second best in the National Football League, which is something to say when you're talking about um, that offensive line. The one thing they can do, it, it appears, at least in the early part of this season, is pass protect. Not so good run blocking. That's still a work in progress, although they've had a lot of rushing attempts. They still are waiting for that breakout game, and, and they haven't really gotten it just yet. But um, you know, certainly uh, they've done a nice job in pass protection. And you just got to see if they can start fast against this Detroit Lions team, which I assure you uh, is going to be hitting on all cylinders. It's a very good football team over there. And so we'll see how the Bucks respond to the bye week. All right, we're going to talk a little college football with Matt Baker. But first, I want to remind you guys that it is still hurricane season in Florida. In fact, we're getting some pretty bad weather as I speak as I'm doing this podcast. But there still is time to keep the power on without breaking the bank. And that's getting solar battery backup power from May Electric solar. With solar battery backup power, there is no fuel cost. There's no loud generator noise, no annual maintenance cost. Plus, May Electric Solar offers a 15-year warranty. Now, solar battery backup can save you hundreds of dollars each month. And if you lose power, uh, a generator could cost you over $2,000 a week just to keep your house running. New solar battery systems qualify for a 30% tax credit, or you can add a battery to your existing M-Phase solar system. Trust the pros in solar to learn more about May Electric Solar Battery Backup or to just get started, call 727-819-2862 or visit mayelectricsolar.com. All right, best time of the week. We get to talk some college football with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. And Matt, you know, a lot of times we'd maybe jump into Florida, Florida State, maybe even USF just to get things rolling. Oh, no, 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 no. We have to talk about what might have been the most egregious coaching gaffe Somewhere in the history of college football, what in goodness names was Mario Cristobal thinking by not just taking a knee and calling it a day and a victory over Georgia Tech, and instead the absolute worst happened and they lose? I have zero idea what he was thinking. He (laughs) he was asked about it a zillion times. And, I mean, to his credit, he, he said, we should have taken a knee, that's on me. But I, I wish I knew why. Like, uh, obviously, there's an explanation behind it. There's a reason why they did not take a knee. There's a reason why, if you go back and look, I don't know that they've taken a knee this season. And, you know, if you're up by three scores at the end and you want your number three running back to get some carries, okay, that's fine. That's one thing. But this was obviously not that. 
Um, just here, here's the quick story on how I found out about this. I was driving home from Gainesville. I was almost home and I, I was trying to find the Miami game on the app that I used to, to listen to games and I couldn't do it. So eventually I pull up the ESPN app. I'm not watching it. I'm, I'm being safe and I'm listening to it, um, to, to the broadcast. And it, when I finally get it to work, um, the first thing I hear is, I think it was Tim Hasselbeck, just absolutely in going insane about some play and this terrible coaching decision. I'm like, uh, what, what just happened? What did I, what did I miss? I, you know, I have zero context. And then obviously I find out what happened and I pull into a gym parking lot at midnight or whatever it is to watch the last couple of plays. And it, it's just, it's inexcusable. It's mind boggling. It's awful. Um, and it, there's a lot of things that go that I, I just have, I have a lot of thoughts on this, right? I, I don't know if you can tell. Um, one of which is how on earth do they recover? Um, you know, if, if you watch the, the telecast, if you watch the end of it, there were some players who might've been saying some things that have in a, you know, naughty language and uh, second guessing and third guessing what happened. So I wonder how they're able to respond to all this. I wonder how the coaches respond to all of this um, because previous Miami teams would absolutely crumble in this situation. I, I know it because I've seen it, right? Um, they would absolutely just, you know, it, it would crumble and this season would collapse. And Miami's talented enough where they can win and still win a bunch of games here and go to a nice bowl and have a nice year too for Mario, or it could completely snowball. Um, so that's one question I have as they go into North Carolina this week. The, the other thing, even the more concerning part of this, is how does Mario Cristobal respond from here? Where, where do things go with him? Because the knock on him when he was at Oregon was that he could win in December and February with the recruiting battles, but he would not do as well. He'd underachieve September through December, right? Uh, I, I've put him in the category of, of James Franklin and maybe Billy Napier. I, I don't know quite yet. We're like, I think they can be the CEO. I think they can do the big picture stuff. I think they can get the talent and the, the coaches and what have you. But, you know, two minutes to go, third and five games on the line. Are they going to make the right decisions? Are they going to handle the clock right? Are they going to handle timeouts right? That's the type of stuff that can win and lose close games. And I think Mario, at this point, uh, there's more questions than answers, or if the answers are there, they're not very good in terms of what he's been able to do. And I don't know that that gets better. So that's, you know, if I'm a Miami fan, that's what concerns me as much as anything else, where uh, Mario can fix a lot of the big picture stuff, but if he can't run out the clock at the end of a game, then, then, then what are we doing here, you know? Well, that's it. I can't trust him in a big game because I can't trust him in a small game that he has won over Georgia Tech. Um, which the game probably shouldn't have been that close to begin with, but that that aside, and it wasn't you know the, the the idea that you wouldn't just fall on the on the ball and take a knee and and run out the clock is egregious enough. Now maybe, and he hasn't said this. Maybe in the back of his mind, it's hey, let's give a rep to somebody. The other the, there was other things that happened though after that, like the carry itself is nonchalant by the running back. Like, no no effort to really protect the football in that situation if you were going to run it, which they did, and then they, they lose a fumble. The other thing was, okay, what the hell was the defensive coordinator doing on the next play? Because <sighs> yep. they got a guy. This is not a Hail Mary. This is a seam, wide-open receiver behind your defense on his way to the end zone on, on the only play they had left. I I can't imagine how a staff – 
what that meeting would have started and sounded like the next day. I mean, there's, there's, you know, they, they say that defeat is an orphan. I'm here to tell you, there were plenty of, of fingers in the pie there. It started with Mario, but it didn't stop there. No, it, it absolutely didn't. You're right. It, it, if we, if you accept that as the play call, it was not executed well. So that that's one thing. Um, I, I don't want to yada yada over the way you started that, which is they should not have been in position that position in the first place. True. Georgia Georgia Tech is not good. No, they gave up. No. I think it was 38 consecutive points the week before when they lost to Bowling Green. Bowling, Bowling Green is awful. Bowling Green, yes. Yeah. So. Miami, if, if Miami is what they're supposed to be, and honestly what I thought they were going into the last weekend, then they should not be in that position, period. In the first place, yeah. Yes, and then obviously the execution with with the fumble and everything with that, and then you're right, at the at the very end. I, I can at least understand a little bit of that. Um, Lance Gidry, the defensive coordinator, I listened to his news conference on, uh, I think it was Monday, and his thing was, you know, it's it's – we don't want to give up a field goal. So we have to, we can't just like, you know, have everybody, you know, rush three and have everybody back just to prevent the touchdown. You have to play some defense up front so that you can't get them in field goal range. And I understand that. However, what happened on the last play where Cam Kenshin's the, the all American fantastic safety just cheats up and bites on something and gets beat deep that that shouldn't happen. You, you, you know, pretty standard coaching in a situation like that don't let anybody behind you and they let somebody behind them and that was that and yeah it it was just a complete comedy of errors there and there's a ton of blame to go around and this is just one of those that's going to stick for a long long time boy i agree i i think cristobal and and you know they weren't going to fire him after the game but but you're right like would you trust this guy in a big game to make the right decisions even if he had the players and he could prepare them to play in the game and they were competitive, you just don't trust him, uh, you know, to make game game day decisions. And um, I don't, I don't know that this is going to go anywhere with him at Miami now or not. And you're right. He can build a program where he can recruit or whatever that is. Um, but that, that brand down there at the U it's, that's, this is not supposed to happen against the Georgia tech. So um, that was a head scratcher to say the least. I've just never seen that happen when, the game is over, right? Like there's just there's just no reason to even even contemplate handing it off there. But that's what happened. So uh, you, by the way, were at the University of Florida watching them play Vanderbilt. Now, okay, let's is everything dandy now that they beat Vandy? I mean, it's you know you you kind of were a little heavy on Billy Napier going into this game. Is it all good now in Gatorland? We we got the right guy. No, I, I mean, it's 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 not all good. That the no was not because they got the right guy or, or not. I don't know, but right. it, it's it's not like one win over Vanderbilt fixes everything. Okay, right, they beat right. they beat Vanderbilt by twenty four. Great, you did what you were supposed to do. Good job. I, I mean, it beats the alternative. It beats losing to Vanderbilt as Florida did last year. Um, it, it, but I, I can't take anything away from it. You know, I, I, Vanderbilt's not very good. Um, I think they're better than some of the teams they've had in the past, but they're still not that good. So I can't take anything away that, okay, Florida's problems are fixed. I mean, if, if you, 
you don't have to look too far, as I wrote on, on TampaBay.com and the Tampa Bay Times, to, to find some signs of progress. Um, you look at the offensive line was without a couple starters and did fine. Um, the run game was without, without Trevor Etienne, who's he's supposed to be healthy and good to go against South Carolina, and, and they still did well. So, okay, that's fine. A uh, bunch of big plays on defense were by first and second year guys. That speaks highly of Napier as a talent de- evaluator and developer and all that stuff. So, yeah, there's some some clear signs of progress, but it's Vanderbilt, kind of like against, you know, they're better than Charlotte and McNeese, but it's not enough where you can say, okay, yeah, the problem's fixed. The, the real test is going to be this weekend um, against South Carolina. That's the next test um, because – it, they're they've been bad on the road under Billy. I mean, they're they're yeah. one in seven away from the swamp. One yeah. in seven. That's bad. And, and so obviously they they have to fix that. And if you dig into the seven losses, as I did, and you know the story will be out um, on Tampa dot com by the time this this podcast is up. But um, I think in all of those seven losses, they trailed by two, at least two scores going into the fourth quarter. So to Florida's credit, they were able to make a bunch of them competitive. You know, you look at the, the Tennessee loss um, in Knoxville last year where they were down big and have a Hail Mary to win. And, and so they were close in some of those and made it better than it seemed, but they couldn't get out of their way with some of the stupid stuff. Um, I think they're averaging almost twice as many penalties on the road compared to at home. Um, and just some of those, you know, self-inflicted wounds. Um, and, and in addition to just, you know, Everything else being different, special teams gaffes, not being able to stop the run against Kentucky, all this stuff. There's a bunch of factors that go into it, but the fact is Florida has not played well on the road, and if they're going to go to a bowl, they got to fix that because when you start looking at the schedule and a bunch of games away, if they're going to get to six, South, they got to win basically probably either South Carolina or Missouri, and maybe both potentially, and those are on the roads, and those are both very tough ones. Yeah, much tougher games ahead, uh, no doubt about it. You did mention in your story um, that, uh, I mean, you look you look for signs, right? You look for playmakers. You look to see who's going to emerge. Their tight end, Arliss Boardingham, seemed to, seemed to open your eyes a little. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he had two touchdown catches and then a big catch on, on, on third down as well. And, again, if we're looking for why can this – turnaround um he's one of those signs you know he was a he was a three-star recruit um Mm. who was still available in january february um billy's first cycle so you know they only signed a handful of guys in the early period and wanted to sign more in the the traditional period but you got to remember by february the the guys are picked through you know it's 80 85 percent of the the d1 players are already signed so everybody's fighting over the last 10 to 20 percent and he was one that some schools weren't as interested in he had been a receiver he had been a linebacker he'd done track but florida saw you know what we think this guy can be a good tight end for us based on his body and everything else and we've already seen here we are a year and a half into to boardingham's career and we're seeing progress there and you know, there was another one too that Billy mentioned, Cam Waits, uh, who was transferred, uh, followed him from Louisiana, big old offensive lineman who was a nobody recruit pretty much until Billy found him at Louisiana, and you know, mm-hmm. he was playing a bunch of meaningful snaps on the offensive line for the Gators. So, I guess it, those type of things reinforce what I thought about Billy going into you know when Florida hired him, which is I think this guy can evaluate talent. I think he's got a good eye for that. Yeah. And I think he can develop it. The question is going to was going to be, can he get enough of the guys that everybody wants, and then develop them? 
and you know, I, some, the early returns are mixed. We'll see how this cycle closes. And then the, the ultimate next step there is, can he use those X's and O's and beat the other guys O's and X's? And that's the question that I still have. And Saturday against Vanderbilt didn't, I mean, that didn't give me an answer one way or the other. Well, we know when he's got better talent, he can win, and he had more talent than Vanderbilt. There's no doubt about that. So they they got that done. Here's the shocker to me last week as far as the the teams that we regularly uh, talk about uh, on this podcast is, man, USF had such good feelings about Alex Golish and all that they were doing and a little bit of wind in their sails and a road victory in the conference. And they go to UAB, and, and I know a lot of things about Trent Dofer, but you know, when he played at least, you didn't see 56 points very often. How in goodness names did they give up 608 yards and 56 points when, okay, so Alabama-Birmingham can score 56, but Alabama can't? <laughs> well, first of all, some of that says a lot about the way Bama played, right? And, and the weather and... The Bama, quarterback that they did Exactly. Play, yeah. they, they weren't sure about quarterbacks. Okay, that that's part of that. Um UAB played well. You know, they had a bunch of explosive plays, and I think USF's defense regressed. Um, you know, Golish said this week basically that their best players didn't play well um, on both sides of the ball, and I think that's an accurate way to say it. Um, and obviously that's something that has to get fixed because if you're going to be any good at any level, your, your dudes have to play like dudes, and that didn't happen. I think this, to me, was one of those reminders. First of all, that college football is weird, Weird things happen that you can't always explain. Um, and also it was a reminder that progress is not always linear, right? Um, you know, I, I was honestly going into this week, or excuse me, going into last week, thinking if USF would have no problem with UAB, and I would have written this week why Alex Golich deserved national consideration or national coach of the year consideration. Mm-hmm. If they had been four and two after four wins in three years, four and two at this point that I, and I honestly believe that would have been the case, but, um, that's not what happened. So it's not what, <laughs> not what I'm writing. Right. Um, but I, I think it's just one of those things where USF is clearly in a better place than they were, but not at a place now where they can afford to not play well on the road, um, and still have a chance to, to win against a team that, you know, UAB's uh, new coach, new league, all that stuff, but they hit the portal hard and got a good amount of quality players there too. So yeah, just one of those things that progress is not going a straight line. You have, you have setbacks, weird things happen. And, um, I think USF's got a, a very good chance to rebound this week against FAU. Well, let's hope they do. I mean, they, they need to show a little consistency on, on, on that side of the ball anyway. And that, that was kind of a shocker, but good for Trent Dilfer and what he's doing there early on anyway at UAB. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, so you're going to be at Florida State against Syracuse. They they did what they needed to do against Virginia Tech. Um, here's what I want to ask you about Florida State, because it feels to me like they have a, a, a nice 
win at Clemson, something that is very hard mm-hmm. to do and has been very hard for them to do for a long time. But I look at the ACC and I look at that schedule that Florida State has, and I'm just wondering, is this a team that has to pretty much run the table to, to be into the college uh, national uh, tournament there? Yeah, I think so. Um, maybe they could afford a loss to Duke, but I don't think so. No, I think they pretty much have to go undefeated. And there's there's a couple of reasons why. Um, first of all, a one-loss Florida State might not get into the ACC championship game. Let's that's start true. there. Yeah, uh, that's true. Louisville's undefeated. Uh, North Carolina's undefeated. And I, I don't think all three of them are going to go uh, go perfect through conference play, but we can't rule it out, right? right I mean, right. Louisville's played very well, and their schedule, they missed the big boys. Um, North Carolina with Drake May, you know, he's one of the most talented players in the country, and you, when you've got a quarterback like that, um, and, you know, they just got Tez Walker, too, back from the NCAA suspension and eligibility, whatever that is. Um, so you put that together, UNC's got a chance to, to run the table there in, in non-con play, and, and Florida State, of course, as well. So if they, lo- if they slip up to Duke or Wake or whoever it is, then they might not get in the ACC championship. So that's yeah, one knock on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then we, I, think we, we, I know we've talked about it before. This is a wide-open year, right? Where oh, yeah. I don't know who the best teams are. I mean, I, I have a good idea of the top 10 or so, but... One through ten, ten through one. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, you st- what does that mean on a practical level? Okay. Well, if we pencil in Georgia as one of the top teams, okay, then you pencil in one of the Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. Okay, so that's two. Um, Oklahoma. You know, maybe sure. they go in, but maybe Texas could. Texas has the win over Bama, which might end up winning the SEC West, like that type of thing. Then you yep. start thinking about the Pac-12, where USC, Washington, Oregon, all of them could be contenders in there. And so a one-loss Florida State would potentially be working against, say, a one-loss Ohio State or a one-loss Penn State that didn't win their, you know, didn't win the division, but their only loss was a close win to Michigan, let's say. So you think about those type of scenarios, and when there's again eight, nine, ten teams that could realistically make this thing, maybe more than that. So a one-loss Florida State that slips up against a Pitt or, or whoever, I, I think that's going to be very tough for them to get in. I would agree with you. I think they're going to have to probably run it. You wrote an uh, interesting story. It was a sort of some analytics um, comparing this Florida State team to some of their better teams, some of their national championship runs that they have had in the past. So just in general, like what, what did you find in terms of how they compare uh, statistically or otherwise? So the, the numbers just in general, they're not as dominant as those teams were. I mean, mm-hmm. like, spoiler, they, they don't have, I think the Florida State, uh, the 93 team. That defense had, was stupid, right? Yeah, yeah, it had three shutouts in the first five games. <laughs> I can't like, believe it, man. I didn't realize Derek Brooks had a defensive touchdown in three, conce- three of the first five games, three in a row. Like Wow. Obviously, he ended up being an adequate player at the college and <laughs> yeah, professional level, is, is my understanding. Uh-huh. Um, so you look at that, and I don't think we, as reporters, talk enough about how great the 2013 team was, right. um, just in how dominant they were, where right. they only had really the one close game to, to Boston College, where it was a game for a half, and then you know, Jameis threw a Hail Mary to, I think it was Kenny Shaw at the last play of the second quarter, and then they 
pulled away. And, and after that, they just crushed everybody. Um, so this Florida State team is not on those levels. Uh, and obviously the 99 team ran the table uh, at number one. But it's they don't, they don't have to be at that level either. It, because, again, this is not a team – excuse me, this is not a year where – there's one clear dominant team. Everybody's right. got issues. You know, Georgia's uh, putzed around a little bit and had, you know, to kick the crap out of Kentucky and, and looked really good doing it. Right. But they've shown some vulnerabilities and haven't been dominant earlier in this year. And the Ohio State didn't look great against uh, against Indiana in the opener. And Michigan has absolutely obliterated everybody, but they haven't played anybody with a pulse yet. So, like, I just don't know how good anybody is. And to me, that means Florida State this Florida State team doesn't have to be like 2013 where they just – I had forgotten a game that I covered. 2013 Florida State beat Maryland 63 to nothing. Like that was a thing that happened, and Maryland was undefeated in top 25 at the time. So Florida State – this team doesn't have to be at that level to win a national championship. They just have to be good enough to beat everybody else. And um, so I thought it was still just kind of an interesting time to, to check back on it. And my conclusion is that – these guys so far haven't been that good, but that doesn't mean that they can't get there eventually. Right. No, it's a fascinating study. Check it out in Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. See the comparison to this Florida State team and, and some of their past uh, teams that have uh, been dominant and won national championships. Okay. Um, listen, I, I just wanted to mention this because I think the best college football game I've seen this year, and I have not watched them all, was the Red River rivalry, Oklahoma and Texas. That came down to the wire. And how about the former US, UCF quarterback taking him down the field for the game-winning touchdown as Oklahoma wins at the Cotton Bowl? It was, it was fascinating. Yeah, that was it. I'm glad that ended when it did. Or I guess I should say I'm glad the, the Florida Vanderbilt game was a 4 o'clock kick, which, <laughs> which let us all in the press box be able to watch the end of that because we were watching that one. Um, Ohio State-Maryland was tight for yeah, a while. Yeah, it was tight then, for a while. Yeah. Uh, LSU-Missouri as well. So, you know, we're mm-hmm. just standing around watching three or four games at the same time. Um, but, yeah, that's what Red River should be, right? And, yeah. and absolutely give credit to, to Dylan Gabriel and the poise he showed and his ability to run and everything um i just kind of go back to this being one of the good things about the transfer portal yes because there you know he lost his job and college football is better with dylan gabriel playing in it just as it's it's better with uh you know graham mertz being in this position at florida and jordan travis being in a position that fits him at at florida state rather than louisville and and on and on and on and but yeah that was a fantastic um fantastic finish fantastic game and I wasn't really sure what to make of OU, um, just because they'd been, on, you know, didn't have a couple great games and hadn't, again, hadn't beaten a ton of great opponents yet. But for them to beat Texas the way they did in that convincing manner after getting their butts whooped against the Longhorns last year, OU was absolutely one of those teams that could screw around and, and have a chance at uh, making the playoff and certainly going into the SEC uh, with a bunch of momentum next year. What's fascinating about it is because Texas has that win over Alabama, which is suddenly uh, seems to be a little more rejuvenated now, Texas may have an easier path or a better path to to the national uh, tournament than than Oklahoma would. Yeah, so I mean, the, the thing is, these guys are going to play again. Um, they will. They will. Yeah. The, the big The Big Twelve's not great. Um, you know, you, you look at I think the the three 
there the the newcomers. I think a uh, Houston, uh, Cincy, and UCF are all are combined like zero and three. I think it is uh, in, in the conference since, since moving up. So it's it's not a great team, great league. You know, Kansas State slipped up against Oklahoma State and Missouri. So it's it's pretty clearly a, a one two race, and we're gonna probably get that game in in Jerry's world. Uh, I guess that would be the first weekend of December, and the winner of that could very well be in the playoff. Uh, you know, punch their ticket there in the final four. I'll mention a couple other games here. I'm kind of saving the best for last a little bit, I think. But uh, so I'm watching USC, and I did not stay up till two o'clock in the morning for the triple overtime. But I did see enough that this is a team with number one player, maybe in the country or the top quarterback in the draft, depending on how it falls, and absolutely no defense at all. Um, <laughs> what? What I mean, and then they play Notre Dame this week, and that's that's another sort of tough team to follow. And to, and and if I were a Notre Dame fan, I'd be frustrated because I don't know what I'm getting week to week with them either. So what do you? I mean, I think Notre Dame will be favored in this game, but but I really don't know. What do you make of this 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 big rivalry here, USC Notre Dame? Yeah, I I think I would pick Notre Dame as well, but I don't feel good about it. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, Sam Hartman started off the season very well. He was not good against Louisville the other night. Um, some of Notre Dame's, I guess, issues here has been the competition, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, their last three games, Ohio State, at Duke, at Louisville. Tough, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's brutal. You know, Ohio yeah. State's a national championship team. Duke was a, you know, one of the bigger surprises the last two years. And then undefeated Louisville at uh, Papa John Stadium or whatever they call it now. It's a tough place to play in a, a, a night game. So I think that explains some of it. But you know, I, I guess the disappointing thing for, for Notre Dame is at, at the beginning of the year, we were talking about Sam Hartman, Notre Dame's best quarterback since Brady Quinn. That's right. Maybe longer than that. Mm. And and they just he's regressed and they're they're not there. And um it's one of those situations where when are they gonna get you know, if not this year, when's it gonna happen? Where they can, you know, not just make the play up, but have a, a legitimate chance at actually winning the thing. And it's not gonna be this year and it's not you know, might not be next year. So they're kinda back at square one in terms of the, the long trajectory. Um, USC, the astounding thing to me is Lincoln Riley, it looks like what they were at Oklahoma where they had a fantastic offense with Mm -hmm. great Heisman trophy winning quarterbacks and the defense isn't there. And I, I I thought that Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator could get things turned around because I I thought he had done a good job at his previous jobs. Um, and that's not happening. Um, I thought USC, uh, you know, some of the guys they brought in through the portal, like Bear Alexander, the, the D lineman from Georgia, maybe that could elevate things enough and they could be, you know, good on defense or at least good enough. And I mean, 41 in triple overtime to Arizona, gave up 41 to Colorado, gave up 28 to a not good Arizona State team, 28 in their opener against San, uh, San Jose State. It's brutal, man. Yeah, the, the defense isn't getting it done. And it's, it just feels like it's going to be one of those teams where unless there's a major shift, it'll be like it was at Oklahoma where there's, they spoil just, you know, historically good quarterbacks and historically good offenses. And, you know, they, they, he did have the one team in, uh, I guess it was 2017 that played Georgia in the Rose bowl and that, uh, classic that that they ended up losing and you know maybe if they had won that they could have beat bama for the championship who knows but the fact is they're just 
awesome at one side of the ball and not good enough on the other. And at some point for USC to do what they're supposed to do, that's got to change. And I don't think it's going to be this year. No, I'm with you. And as good as Caleb Williams is, and he could put his whole team on his back and did so running in the two point conversion or whatever to get that win in triple overtime. It's just, it's, he can't play both sides. And so uh, I just don't see how they, how, how they are able to, to continue on this way. Um, okay, I, I lied. There's one more game. We talked about Miami earlier, North Carolina, really good. I mean, is there any chance that they can bounce back against the Tar Heels? I just think after last week, I don't know what, what the residual is going to be. There's a chance for sure. Of course. Of just, course. I mean, look, Miami is plenty talented. Um, right. we, we saw what they did against Texas A&M, which is a, at least a good team. Yep. Um, yep. where you certainly think that if they get things together when Tyler Van Dyke's clicking and, and, and uh, you know, Colby and, and uh, Restrepo and some of those guys at receiver are, are clicking, that's a high level team that, that can, that's, you know, I thought they would have had a chance at at least competing for the ACC title. Um, yep. So if they get, can, are able to respond, then yeah, they, they ha- their talent will, will let them have a chance. Uh, I, 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 Obviously, North Carolina has been good. I don't know that they're they match up super well pound for pound against Miami just on talent. Mm. So that's I guess if I'm trying to talk myself into it. But realistically, no. I mean, it's going to be a it's a tough environment on the road, primetime game against undefeated North Carolina, uh, and then just the the human element here of Miami yeah. saddled with this awful boneheaded loss and. I think I, I don't know how you can t- quickly turn how let me rephrase that I don't know how a 19 year old 20 year old can quickly turn the page from that and move on and be not not just a good team potentially a really good team uh, yeah. on the road that just does not set up well for success for the Canes yeah well I mean maybe North Carolina will have their their attention because they are a very good team and they got to be ready to play or it could get it could get ugly up there if they're not uh, all right, so the game of the week, uh, in my mind anyway, and uh, and a quarterback that people in Tampa Bay should know very well. You wrote about him in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. Michael Penix, according to you and others, is probably the favorite uh, right now or one of the new Heisman favorites uh, at, at the University of Washington. They play Oregon. Man, this game is, is between two really good football teams and and. Both are capable of winning a national title, in my opinion. Yeah, they're both certainly capable of, of making it to the playoff. There, there's I have zero doubt in my mind about that. Um, th- this is just going to be a fun game. You know, I look, I love my job. I'm not complaining. But this is one of those that, like, man, I wish I wasn't going to be coming watch. back from Tallahassee because I would have watched this, right? <laughs> yeah, like, man. I, I'm going to have to get play-by-play from my kid while I'm in the car or whatever and, and <laughs> catch up later. But look, Oregon's averaging 51.6 points a game, second in the country. Washington's just behind them, third in the country at 46 points a game. To me, if I had to you know, do a Heisman ballot right now, Michael Penix would be number one. He, he passed Caleb Williams this week in the, mm-hmm. the, the betting markets to, to be the number one guy and the Heisman. Um, he's just, look, I, I've said it before, Washington is the most entertaining team in the country. I, I know they, they do more complicated stuff than this, but it seems like all they do is just like, okay, y'all go deep and I'm going to chuck it to you, <laughs> which is just a fantastically fun thing to watch. So 
I, I'm really, really interested to see how this plays out. You've got the, the Pinnocks versus Bo Nix uh, quarterback duel. Um, Oregon's got the better defense, but I, I'm still not 100% sure that they're that much better. And if Washington's offense can be as good as I think they can, um, then look, I, I think this could be the absolute game of the year. Um, and, and there's just going to be all sorts of NFL potential with, with, with Nix and Pinnocks, and Washington's Absolutely. got a bunch of NFL receivers. I, I just think it's... Again, we, we talked about the portal and how wh- what it can do for everything, but I, I look at Michael Penix in particular, where go back to, to his the start of his career, where he was committed to Tennessee, and Tennessee got rid of Butch Jones, and he, again, he had been committed there, but okay, now there's a new coach. Yeah, Jeremy Pruitt comes in and says, you know what, this is, you're not our guy. So he's left scrambling late, and Florida State's in the picture, and other schools, and he ends up at Indiana. Has some, you know, takes them to to heights they hadn't been in a long time in the COVID year, and the great diving Does play, well, to, yeah, yeah, to, to to beat Penn State, and you know, just one of those memories kind of etched in my mind watching that one. And then he gets banged up, and he was not himself, and he was able to go and to me, kind of do what the portal should be, it's just get a fresh start. You know, in this case, he was reunited with Kalen DeBoer, who is his, uh, his OC at uh, Indiana, is now the head coach at Washington, and everything clicks, and he is rolling at an unbelievable level, nation's leader in passing again, and you know, he, he's got a chance. I don't think this is too much of a hyperbole, but he's got a chance to leave college as maybe the best college player Tampa Bay's ever produced. I don't think that's crazy talk It's here. not. If he wins a Heisman Trophy... Or even maybe you know doesn't, but it, but I mean, listen, I think you're absolutely right. And as a quarterback, for sure, he would be the the best quarterback uh, from the Tampa Bay area. I think. Have you seen the Heisman campaign at, at Washington where he's shooting the arrow? It's just oh yeah, hilarious. of course, it's great. <laughs> it's absolutely great. I love it when schools still kind of try to do the Heisman campaign. Yeah. For, for a long time, you know, back in the the old days before the internet oh, and, and all these things, heavy, there was, yeah. yeah, there was so many things you had to do. I, I remember when I was at, at the Tulsa World, um, at the desk I sat at, whoever had it before me, had a uh, Graham Harrell, Michael Crabtree, like, campaign sticker button put on mm-hmm. there. And that was the Heisman campaign. I think it would have been 08. Um and there, there's not as much of that anymore. You know, I, somewhere I still have an uh, Ed Oliver bobblehead when he was at Houston <laughs> with uh, him, him riding his him riding his horse. I think the horse's name was Oreo, if I remember right. <laughs> that was them trying to to put about the thing. Oh, I, yeah, there's my uh, Mackenzie Milton Heisman lay that UCF sent out to all these people. And <laughs> there you go. I, so I, I love that. Chotskis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that that type of stuff. And, and obviously now it's a lot more social media type of marketing and, and I'm all for it, you know, do, do what you got to do to get your guys noticed, to get everybody talking about them and, and why they deserve, you know, why I as a voter should spend extra time thinking about your guy. I, I'm all for it, dude. Absolutely. Maybe some NIL money coming the voters ways would help too, but uh, probably, <laughs> now we're talking. I probably don't want to go down that road yet. The NCAA can't handle that, it. With the that was a joke. Which, Heisman trust. Yes, that was a joke. Yes. We're not, tr- we're not really suggesting that this would happen. Um, listen, should be another great week of college football. You will be at Florida State to watch Florida State and Syracuse. I wonder if they need some style points there, Matt. I don't know. It Single. wouldn't. 
Yeah, it, it wouldn't hurt. Um, yeah. Syracuse did the the Syracuse thing, which is start off really well against a kind of weak non-conference right. slate, and then play real teams and lose. You know, yeah. I, la- yeah. I think it was last year they started six and six, and then lost or six and zero, oh, and then lost in the last six. Right. Like that's that's kind of a Syracuse thing. And then you know it they've is. started off four and zero, oh, and then lose to North Carolina and Clemson when they play real teams. So I, I do think they need some style. It wouldn't hurt to have some style points, but realistically. If Florida State, after beating Clemson, at Clemson, beating LSU, yep. you know, if this this continues and they've got wins over Miami, went over Duke, went over UNC, Louisville, whoever it is for the ACC title, then I think they'll be in the in the playoff. But it, it wouldn't hurt to have some style points just in case things get weird. Uh, you never know what the committee is going to be thinking at the end. He's Matt Baker. You can check him out in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. Safe travels, Matt. We'll talk to you next week. You got it. Thanks, Rick. Really looking forward to this week of college football. I hope I can spend some Saturday in front of the television. That's my plans anyway, so don't anybody change that for me if, if you don't mind. Uh, we'll continue to uh, preview the Bucks against the Detroit Lions. We'll do that tomorrow. And if you've got some mailbag questions, you can still have time to submit those as well. You can do that on Twitter. Send them to us at SportsDayTV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at Tampa Bay. For Steve Burstick, I am Rick Stroud, the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.